Last week we looked at the lack of information in the Old Testament about evil and evil forces. That it was there, but it wasn't talked about nearly as much. If you remember, compared to all other ancient religious literature that we have, the Old Testament speaks far less about uh, demonic powers and evil than it does, than the rest of it does. But in the New Testament, everything changes. Spiritual warfare takes center stage as soon as Jesus walks in. In fact, we'll, we'll look at this in a bit, but in Mark chapter 1, two incidences in Mark chapter 1, and I would argue a third as well, but again, don't want to get ahead of it. it. And it goes from being mentioned every so often in the Old Testament to almost in your face in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you've got Leviathan, Rahab, Yom, Behemoth, hostile waters, a prince over a nation, an ancient conflict. But in the New Testament, you have demons colliding directly with people and with Jesus, right in the first chapter. What's the dramatic difference? Well, the intertestamental period lasted about 400 years from the time that the prophets went silent to the time of Jesus' birth. About 400 years. Now, we often call that the t uh, 400 years of silence. I, I think we probably do God a disservice by saying that because God was still at work. You can see him at work in the Maccabees and in several other areas. But no scripture was being written that remains with us. There were, there were books being written, but they didn't stick with scripture. They, um, they were looked upon just as books. But during this period, it was the darkest period in the history of the Jews so far. And that's saying something. Pigs were sacrificed on the altar to make sure that Jews would never worship there again. You might think, well, why couldn't they just clean it off and worship? You're not allowed to clean the altar, ever. All of the packed ash and burnt fat and hair for the centuries was supposed to stay right there, stinking to remind you of sins. So you couldn't go wash the pig off. You were caught. The statue of Jupiter was put in the temple. The priesthood was divorced from the people and given to the highest bidder and really split into two competing uh, groups of priests that eventually the, uh, the foreign ruler would just allow him to bribe them in turn to say, all right, that guy can go for a year, that guy can go for a couple of years. The priesthood was a government corrupt organization. People were sold to the highest bidder. Remember when Jesus talks about if he wants your coat, give him your cloak. If they want you to walk one mile, walk two. That last one, the Romans had a law that said if they were carrying something, they could stop anybody on the street and say, you carry that, but they only had to carry it a mile. Then you stop somebody else. Slavery on the spot. You were looked down upon. You were beaten into the ground. The towers of Jerusalem were taken. For a long time, the towers had held out. But now the towers were taken too. Poverty like you wouldn't believe, which meant prostitution like you wouldn't believe. Please remember, when a man died, everything went to his son. 
not to his wife. If he had no son, everything went to his nearest male relative. She was left homeless, incomeless, stateless, classless. She had statusless, rather. No place. Therefore, a lot of women, and perhaps the woman in John 8 is an example of this, and perhaps the woman who uh, had been a prostitute that anointed Jesus' feet, maybe all of these were caught in that situation. How do you live? This was a very dark time. God had pulled back, at least in part, for hundreds of years. When he rose, rose up, like the Maccabees, most people didn't have the power to then say, all right, let's go all the way back to God. They got to a certain level of political comfort and stopped. They got to where, all right, we're more comfortable now with our politics and going to church, and they stopped rather than moving all the way to, to God. Now, this may surprise you. The best group during the time at reminding people of God and bringing them back to God was a restoration movement. We call them the Pharisees. They were the restoration movement. They, they weren't trying to be mean. They were trying to, let's do all, everything in the law the way God wanted us to do the law, and let's enforce this, and, and then God will like us again. And they brought the tradition back in with the law and equated the two, but they were trying, but they were legalistic. They forgot about love. They forgot about justice and mercy. Into that vacuum... Demons surged like a river, the Old Testament would say, like a flood. You see, if you have an emptiness, the devil comes in. I want you to think about this, for example, as you surf the net. And nobody talks about surfing the net anymore. We're browsing or the like. But after a while, you've bought from Amazon and you've you know, gone over to Pinterest and done what you do there and You've gone to Etsy and all the other groups, and you've checked Facebook, and it's still open, and that's when it gets dangerous. Because you don't have something to do, the devil will suggest. You can look off to one of the ads on the sides, and perhaps it's uh, a link. We call it clickbait. It's just to make you click. Something like, what? And you click, and then it leads you deeper and deeper and darker. Uh, the old people said, idle hands are the, what? Devil's workshop. If you don't have a fullness, you are open. If you're not busy, that's why Jesus said, work while the night is coming. Why? If you don't work, you're standing around. Remember Psalm 1? The fool begins by watching and standing around, not working. The next thing you know, they're following. Be very, very careful. Jesus arrives on the scene. He openly declares that this earth is being run by an evil prince. Let's take a look at these passages out of the book of John. Um, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. I'm going to stop right here for a second. Keep that slide up. I, uh, I was at a big uh, lectureship once when my associate minister gave a, a prayer and he prayed that God would protect us against the prince of this world. The next preacher that got up wanted to correct that 
and say, the devil just thinks he's the prince, but God's in charge and God's in control and everybody's going, yay, and I'm going, wait a minute. It was Jesus that said he was a prince. It was Jesus that said he's not in control down here, but the devil is running things. I will not speak with you much longer for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. The prince of this world now stands condemned. Now, all of these are yanked out of context. I'm not trying to, to give you one idea here except to show you that Jesus called the devil the prince of this world. All right? These are all talking about three different things. So, I, I, again, I don't want to... They're out of context. But the term he uses is the term that they used in that time for the highest official in a city or a region. The guy in charge. I don't know what you'd call him in America. You might call president. You might call uh, speaker of the house. You might call the mayor. Whoever is in charge of that area is coming. And it's a dangerous thing when it's a bad guy. A demon, uh, again, in scripture, remember in the Old Testament, demons were in charge of territories. The Catholic Church, and we love our Catholic friends, but the Catholic Church official doctrine is that demons can possess people, but not things. In Scripture, they tend to possess things too. Objects and territory, as well as people. So just be aware. Just be aware. Satan told Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, I can give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus didn't say, no, you can't because he could. Jesus just said, no, I'm not taking him from you. Jesus is king de jure, but not de facto. Do you know those terms? By law and by right, Jesus is king, but he is not king in fact until he brings this to an end. You understand what I mean? All right. That's, Jesus is tearing. And you might say, why is he waiting? Why didn't, why didn't he just end it all? I want you to think about the people today that are praying for relatives who have not yet come to Christ. He is waiting to give them a chance. He is waiting for us to do our job. We're supposed to draw all men unto Jesus. 2,000 years later, we haven't done it yet. He's waiting for us to participate. John says the whole world is under the rule of the devil. Look at 1 John. Um, do I have? I don't think I have that one. I don't. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19. The whole world is under the rule of the devil. And Paul agrees in first, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. Also Ephesians 2 and verse 2. Paul, John, Jesus, they all say the devil's in charge of this world. So should we be surprised when evil happens? No. We can be appalled. We can be upset. And we can react. But don't be surprised. Evil is evil. You know who are most surprised at evil? Are the people who are the most blessed. They are. We have a drainage issue in our backyard. Uh, we've had the city engineers out a few times and HOA and everything. And what it all has come down to is ours was the last house built 
Therefore, everybody drained it this direction. We're the ones that caught the ball. Doesn't really matter. We're going to have to pay. Have a neighbor who is so mad at government and everything else. He wrote me a letter this morning. I'm so upset. And and I wrote him back. Let not your heart be troubled. My children are not being crucified. My wife is not being sold into slavery. I am able to go to church and practice today in peace and comfort. And I have more food in my pantry than I plan to eat. Why is it we get so upset when we're the most blessed? I think it's because we're so blessed we forget. Most of the world isn't blessed. And so back off a little bit sometimes. and say, Don't be surprised when you see evil. Jesus tells us that to take back this world. We have a job to do. Bind the one in charge of it. Mark chapter 3 and verse 27. Luke 11 and verse 21. You cannot secure the house until you bind the strong man, he calls him. Our job is to bind the strong man. Now, how do you do that? A large variety of ways, but I'll never forget a youth rally speaker that we had once. I was probably 20-something years old, uh, still over in Scotland. He'd come from America, and he had lived a really brutal, bad life, and now believed in Jesus, and that's the kind you want. You know, you want this really dramatic, good story. And he went on a tear during one of his talks, and I was thinking, where are you going with this? Because he said, I want you to know, a lot of you think I'm going to have my fun, then come to Jesus. I want to tell you something. I do as much, I do all the drugs I want to. I get drunk as often as I want to. If I want to commit adultery, I commit adultery all I want to. And I'm going, apply, apply, wrap the, and he finally did. He said, but now that I'm a Christian, I don't want to. You bind the strong man by changing hearts not by swords and bullets, but changing hearts. That's harder. It's easier to shoot somebody than to love them. Don't tell Cammie. Jesus said the people he met who were sick, maimed, or who had lost a loved one. Here's our application, people. Jesus said that sick people, maimed people, or people who were grieving were victims of Satan. He didn't say they were sick because of God's will and his beautiful plan. Jesus said it's because you live here and the prince of this world is in charge. Now, I find comfort in that. I know that there are some Christians who panic at the thought that God's not in charge of every petal of every leaf out there. I don't. This, to me, I'm going, fair enough. Now I know there's a battle and I, I have a part to play with God. Not, I'm not in God's big terrarium experiment. Do you know what I mean? Because if he's got this all planned, all you are is a war game. All you are is a chess game. But if it's all part of a battle and we've got to play a part to play in Luke chapter 13 with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years and goes on to call her bound by Satan. Um, We often mistakenly attribute this to God's will or God's providence, but it wasn't. It was Satan who caused this illness. To Jesus and to the disciples to be saved was 
was not just the forgiveness of sins and not just spiritual regeneration, but also to be free from the clutches of Satan. Your desires changed, your life changed, and to get her free from Satan, he cured her disease. Um, a great scientist once said that true science is thinking God's thoughts behind him. I love that. In other words, we're going to try to go in tandem with God and work in his system. This is why um, the Castleys, for example, their daughter Chelsea is doing a doctoral program where she studies in microbiology. And she's already looking at drug and interventions to stop certain diseases. That's God's work. She's doing God's work. I'm so proud of her and what she's doing. What if you're spreading information technology and that way we're able to reach more people with the gospel, uh, we're able to get people clean water, all the, you are freeing people from Satan. That's wonderful. What if you're teaching somebody how to read? Yes. What are you doing? You're making the world more like heaven and less like hell. That's our job. Our job is to make the world more like heaven, less like hell. Jesus and God did not send the scourgings in these passages. Jesus freed people from them. In Mark chapter 5 and verse um, 34, yeah, that's up there. I often forget what I have up and what I don't. I want to turn to that one. Mark 5 and 34. Oh, there it is. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. That's what Jesus does. He says, be free from this. He doesn't say, this is all part of the plan. Um, there's so much more I want to say about this, but the preacher went too long, so I've got to... can't stand that guy. Um, think of Peter's mother-in-law in Luke chapter 4. Or in Mark chapter 1, she's mentioned as well. He just, he frees her immediately. He doesn't say, well, there's a purpose in this and there's a lot you can learn from it. He immediately goes in and fixes it. Think about him rebuking the storm. Why would you rebuke a storm? Why would you go out and address the storm and say, stop it? Which is what he did. Peace be still is literally shut up and stop. That's what, it, that's what it is in the Aramaic. We just make it all preachy and churchy because <laughs> we don't want our kids to know that Jesus says shut up, which he did several times, actually. Uh, to one demon, he says, shut up and get out. And we, we put it, be quiet, he said sternly. He didn't seek what perfect plan God might have behind the illness or storm. He considered the illness a sign that evil was present in the world and the people were its victims. So let's help them. Notice in the day of judgment what kind of people Jesus said he wants. People that put clothes on the, the naked, feed the hungry, go visit those in prison, heal the sick. He wants people that make things more like heaven on this earth. That's who he's looking for. Jesus says that driving back evil is what the kingdom's all about. When you see the kingdom, 
you ought to see evil retreating. Uh, look at you know, Luke 11, verse 20, for example, on that. Or, uh, I keep bringing it up, so Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. And I told you to bring your Bibles because we're not going to put a whole bunch up on the screen. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. What happens within just a few verses? The demons show up. Expect evil. Expect pushback from the devil. Don't be shocked. You can be saddened, but don't be shocked. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the kingdom's here. Verse 21 and forward, the demons are here. And then in verses 32 through 34, he actually strangles them, won't let them speak. But two different times in chapter 1, demons show up as soon as Jesus shows up. And unlike us, who the devil gets a grip on, he gets a grip on them. Look in Luke chapter 4. When Jesus shows up, what do demons tend to say? Are you just shy? Are you shocked I'm actually taking a breath? They have mercy on me. Don't no, no, no. When Jesus shows up, they're frightened of him. My if you're frightened of demons, my suggestion to you would oh, get close to Jesus. Safest place to be. Wherever he is, they're going to come across. You know, take a look at um, Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 18 through 19. For some reason, I am turning past everything today. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim me to proclaim, uh, sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's my favorite passage in Luke. Because he rolls up the scroll, sets it down. It's like, you know, boom with the mic. And he goes, now. It starts now. And that's what we do. Church, I hope you're not taking anything that I'm saying as a criticism of the church. This world would have zero light in it without the church. Without Christians. We have done so much. When was the last time you saw the first atheist hospital? They don't. When was the last time you saw orphanages run by Hindus? And I'm not knocking Hindus, I'm just saying it is Christians that build the orphanages, the hospitals, the free clinics, that go and dig wells. Where are the, there is the Green Crescent, which is the Muslim version of the Red Cross, but there aren't very many Groups from the Muslims going out to dig new wells. Individual Muslims are. I'm not trying to slander them. I'm just saying Christians are the ones that organize. Why? Because Jesus told us that's our job. Freedom, peace, go out there, get a grip on the devil, show them back. What does it look like when the kingdom comes to town? Well, Mark and Luke give you a little bit of that. If you're still in Luke, Luke chapter 10, these are all up there so that you can write them down and check them later if you need to. Luke chapter 10. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's offered to you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. It's what it looks like when the kingdoms come. 
uh, back in Mark chapter 6. Not hearing a lot of pages. I don't know if you're just going to look later or if you're looking on your phones. On phone Bible apps, there ought to be a little sound of pages turning just to, <laughs> just to help the minister. Mark chapter 6, verse 7. Calling the twelve to them, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. I find that fascinating. That's what he mentions. Out of all the things he could have, I want you to talk about Jesus, I want you to talk about repentance, I want you to talk about living holy lives. First thing, authority over impure spirits. And then verses 12 through 13, they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. You might be wondering, am I trying to say go out and do exorcisms? No, no I'm not. Um, do I think exorcisms can be necessary? You know something? I do. I do. Um, and if you don't, I would suggest you do something. Go work on a foreign mission field for a few years. You'll come back believing in demons. And that sometimes you need this extra. But what is... The, the easiest way to get rid of the devil is to get Jesus in somewhere. And so you, you don't need an exorcism for that. You just need Jesus brought into the equation. Think of the devil and his angels as cockroaches when the light comes on. They don't stand there and say, hey, turn that off. They scatter. But you need to make sure Jesus is there. And that's our problem, isn't it? I say our problem, isn't it? We're living sacrifices. And the biggest problem with the living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. We keep forgetting Jesus. How many times a day do you have to remember? Oh, that's right, I'm, Jesus. I'm with Jesus. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. Ah, bless you. I have never been so blessed since I moved to the south. <laughs> People are telling me that all the time. Well, bless your heart. And I'm going, I... It's like the Princess Bride. I don't think that means what you think it means. Anyway, um, awesome movie. Uh, you know what the church doesn't look like? It doesn't look like a temple or a tabernacle or retreating to a building that's what the Sadducees did. And it doesn't mean a set of rituals. That's what the Pharisees did. What the church looks like is a people determined to create an outpost of heaven in every situation in which they find themselves. We're going to make this more like heaven, less like hell. One of the guys that was in my house on Friday to tell me the bad news about the drainage was... Uh, as a new alderman for our town. And uh, you could tell he was just waiting for the explosion and it didn't happen. I'm just going, you know, it is what it is. That's, we, we deal with what is. And talking to him a little bit, I always then bring in, you know, wasn't always like this, but Jesus can change a person. Just put a seed down. We, um, we went, I, I had drove my truck through a car wash last week halfway through the car wash a horrific sewer smell hit they had a problem now I had a problem because it was in my truck in my vents everything else I had an appointment I couldn't stop and talk to anybody so I went on up 
uh, windows down, 90-something degrees, got there, did my, my stuff, then wrote, found their address online, just sent them a note saying, listen, this is what our experience was. You need to get this checked out. They wrote back saying, we'll give you these free car washes uh, and, and here's some deodorizers for this. And I wrote them back and I said, no, I don't want anything from you. But after every time I signed my name, I put down there, Fourth Avenue Church of Christ. I don't want a free wash. What I want to do is be kind to you so that your business continues. Now, how many of those letters do you think they get? It's strategy. I don't really love people. It's all just part of a plan. No. I've learned how to love through the years. Some of you may have defeated certain demons in your lives, and some of you may be battling them now. I want you to know something. We love you. We've been there. We'll be there again. We will. That's why you need community, because not all of us are down at the same time. Some of us are, but not all of us. So we take turns helping each other. Some of you have been through illness, financial ruin, war, addiction. But I want to tell you something. If you haven't been through some of these, all right, I want to just cut to the chase. No Marine ever says about a fellow Marine who died, what's up with that? They understand that what happens to one happens to us all. Your addiction might be drugs. You know, I was never tempted with drugs. That doesn't make me superior. What it means is my head was already... I'm not poking this with a stick. It's too strange already. And I, I, that just never tempted me. If it tempted you, got it. Other things tempted me. I know you're wondering, what are those? Not telling you. <laughs> because some of you might be tempted by gossip. No, I try to share my own temptations, my own struggles openly. The point is this. Don't judge people who are being overrun by the enemy. Help them. Go pick them up. Have you heard of the phrase compassion fatigue? It's a real thing. Normally, there are several applications. Normally, we apply it to one person. We get so tired of helping that one person. And it's true that some people... You're not helping them. They're, you're, you've developed, you're enabling them. That's true. But there are people, the Bible, King James has a horrible word for them, calls them feeble-minded. The literal Greek is little-souled. They were born broken and weak. They're never going to get better. And the Bible says they'll always be there. Help them. Don't get tired. When you do get real worn out, you're in a community. Say, tap, you know, tap, you're it. You take them for a while. That's fine. You go heal and recover and come back into it. Demons, you may have been able to overthrow your demons and wonder why somebody else can't overthrow theirs. The Bible says some are harder to get out than others. Jesus runs across one. In Mark chapter 5 and Luke chapter 8. Do you remember that one? His apostles were able just to throw out demons, but they came and wrestle 
We wrestle with demons, we're told. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Do you remember those words? What you might not realize is that those are sporting terms used in horrific matches that were wrestling matches to the death. So it's not like, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Stop it, devil. Ah! No, fighting him might kill you, but do it. Because when the right time comes, he can't go where you're going. He will flee from you. So we fight it every day. This is hard for you to believe, but I wake up every day still being me, and that's a battle. I, I didn't turn out the way I wanted to, or, frankly, the way I was promised. I was told if I eat my vegetables, I'd grow up big and strong. I'd get muscles. I've had words with my mother about these promises. But I also got the impression, and I don't know that anybody really wanted me to get it, but I had the impression that once I was baptized and went to church, I'd be pretty good. When I wake up in the morning, I'm still broken. But here's the thing, we're all broken. But God takes the little broken glass of our lives and he turns it into mosaics that are beautiful in community. Just don't be surprised whenever you bump up against somebody else's sharp edges. We've all got them. By the way, in the Bible, some demons swarm... I've got to quit here in a second. Uh, some demons swarm over a person or an area. In Mark 5, 2,000 had swarmed there, if legion is correct, when he says that's how many we are. 2,000 demons. Yikes. In Mary Magdalene, in Luke chapter 8, and Mark 16... That one woman had seven demons. Yet Jesus freed her from her demons and loved her. Well, he loved her, freed her from her demons, and kept loving her. Love comes first. Always. Another important point. Jesus expressed intense anger against people for the lack of their faith, immorality, or being unloving. But he never expressed anger toward people who were the prisoners of demons. Ever. He treated them as casualties of war. We are very much in a world between, and this world is not fair. War intrudes. Evil adults molest and destroy innocent children. Uh, there's a huge rape culture just discovered in Britain being run by Muslims, and I don't know if you thought we read our British papers every day, so you, I doubt that you do. But people in positions of power, mayors, uh, city councilmen, running pedophile rings is what they are. And they're just coming, and the, the court doesn't know how to handle them because they're afraid to cause problems with the Muslim community. That's our world. Jesus gets angry about things like this. Evil people destroy marriages. Evil people create entertainment. Evil people shut down your freedom. Evil, pe evil people pass laws against people of faith. Even nature is affected by this rebellion. That's why Jesus gets mad at a tree. That passage ever... Why do you get mad at a tree? Because it reminds him it's part of the rebellion. It's a sign that's in Mark eleven twenty four. The Bible never says, read it. Just so many people who love the Bible never read it. You know what you, 
most Christians love the Bible like you love Adobe software. I'll explain. If you have a computer, you know that a good third of your life is updating Adobe software. <laughs> right? PDF files, the reader, the flash, whatever. And it will say, click that you've read and agree with all of this. You click. You don't read it. I opened it up once. I went, are you serious? Let's just assume I read it. I told God, I hope that's not a lie, but I'm clicking that from now on. Uh, I, the, uh, as far as I know, I owe it my, my next grandchild. Uh, but I'm just clicking. And so many people believe in God the same way. Yeah, we believe the Bible. Have you, have you looked at it? Or have you assumed? Jesus expresses anger at so much, but he never says that this evil is God's will, ever. So don't you. In fact, the Bible calls us to join in an act of revolt. Jesus' existence down here, and those are the passages. Well, let's go to the slide eight. There we go. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Since the children of flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And the people in prison, many of them don't even know they're in prison. Some of the activists said on Thursday, I, I listened to the speeches, that this is only just a beginning, that we need to end marriage that marriage is slavery and it needs to be ended. And I'm thinking, you're in prison and you don't even know it. I've been married to this woman for 36 years. I'm not done. I'm not done loving her or serving her or helping her. You might say, well, she's a slave. <clears throat> I, if so, she's got me supplying all of her needs. <laughs> I'm not sure how this works. By the way, I'm happy to do it. The point is, they will call freedom slavery and slavery freedom. If you've never read 1984, you need to read it. They've taken control of the language. Uh, I'm afraid that our rulers, our betters, didn't realize that book was written as a warning and they took it as a how-to. Um, our job is to destroy the works of the devil, not to say whatever happens down here is God's will. Do you get it? All right, next week, we get into some serious meat. So brace yourself. But in the meantime, get to work. Create bits of heaven wherever you go. Cheerio, bye.